0: Would you turn to John chapter 16? We were there last week. We'll be there again tonight. Our subject is adversity and the overcomer. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus finishes up his earthly preaching ministry, you might say. And he said these words. He said, These things I have spoken unto you that in me, you might have peace. In the world, this is a promise. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The word overcome means to conquer. It means to prevail. It's the way Christians are described in the Bible. What God wants is for Christians to be overcomers not just hangers honours, but overcomers, those who prevail. And God knows there's enough content in the Bible, if you believe it, to overcome any adversity, any situation in your life, to the point that to overcome would mean that there is no power in this world that can overthrow you or defeat you, make you afraid or dominate you doesn't mean you don't have your share of problems. We've already been told that. But to overcome, an overcomer is one who has overcome the world, and the world has no power to defeat him anymore. You still have to cope. You still have to deal with things. But you not only know how, but you know that God is faithful. He watches over his word, and he honors his word. When you put it in your mouth, you make application of it in your life, to your life, to your family, to your situations, Your faith tells you that God will take care of that. He'll do exactly what he said. Now, to refresh you from last week, we said this. Adversity is a word which means calamity. It means distress, difficulty, tribulation, things that you don't like, that nobody prays for, but things that will happen to everybody that lives in this world. Saved or unsaved, doesn't matter. Everybody in this world will face adversity. And the reason we said that the reason there will be tribulation and adversity in your life and in the world's life is because the world is the domain of Satan. He's called the prince of the power of the air. This is where he was cast out of heaven to this earth. He was introduced to us in the Garden of Eden as a serpent. And he's called the tempter. He's called the destroyer. He comes to kill and to steal and destroy. He comes to wreak havoc in your life, to make your life as miserable as he can. And he does this, he does that, whatever he can to overthrow you and defeat you, he does. Because that's the nature of the darkness of this world. The Bible says the world lies, John wrote, the whole world lieth in wickedness. You can say the whole world lies in Darkness. But men, as John said in the Gospel of John, men love darkness better than light. They like spicy, irreverent things in this life more than they like things that are honest and true and pure because the author of death, darkness, and doom and gloom and adversity, as a tempter, introduces all that stuff to man and lures them into it, and that way they're snared. Did you know that everybody in this world has gone astray? The great need in the world is to be saved from it, and the provision to be saved from the death and gloom and the calamity and adversity in this world is Jesus Christ. That's the only hope, because without Christ, a man is, the Bible says, without hope and without God in this world. So the fact of the matter is, the reason there is tribulation, and adversity in everybody's life in this world is because the devil is called the prince of the power of the air, small g, God of this world, the spirit that rules in Ephesians 2, in the children of disobedience. He is the one that causes all sin and all crime. Everything that's wrong and bad is of the devil, all of it. And so you're living in that realm, and it's in that realm with that kind of surroundings that we're called to overcome and not be overcome. Jesus said, I've overcome all of that. Another reason I said last week that we face adversity is because we, by choice, open a door to the devil. Look quickly at Ephesians 2. It's easy enough to quote these verses, but it's easier to listen and just assume that that's true than it is to actually look and see for yourself. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, here's what it says. Wherein in time past, that was before you got saved, before you knew the Lord. In time past, you walked according to the course of this world. Then he describes that. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Would you agree with me that all disobedience to God is authored and encouraged by the devil, and that when you yield to those temptations to be disobedient to God, that you open the door to the devil? See, that's Ephesians four twenty seven. That was another point. In this world you have calamity because you've opened the door yourself by choice to the devil. You just take the Ten Commandments. You take any of them, all of them or one of them, anyone you want, pick one. Number five is about honoring your parents. How many of us broke that one? How many of us have ever lied or stolen something or coveted what somebody else had or, you know, abused the Lord's name or the Lord's day? Who hasn't? But the Bible declares that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, who is the author of sin? The devil. That's his nature. He was from the beginning a liar, and there is no truth in him. And when the devil comes into this world to snare you, to gain the advantage of your life, he simply introduces a lie to you. Hath God said... Oh, you won't die. You'll be like God. He doesn't want any competition. And she believed that because that's the frailty and the weakness of human nature is to believe what seems right, feels good, or looks good. All of that is defined as disobedience. In fact, the word here for disobedience is a word which means unpersuasable unwilling to be persuaded that God is right and that's what we should do. And somehow you hypothesize that doesn't have to be like that. And after all, God knows we're just flesh and nobody's perfect. So then you turn and you do something wrong. But the spirit that's behind it, the spirit that works in people who think like that, is it called a spirit of disobedience. It's the devil because it says so right there in verse 2. And that's one of the ways that people get snared. People get snared by the occult, by participating in dark things. You know, from the Ouija boards, of fortune tellers, the horoscopes, all kinds of things innocently, that you do, and it's fun, and it's cute. Amidst all the fun and the cuteness, it's the devil. Right. It's just like, what do you think is behind Halloween? Even churches sponsor Halloween parties, And yet the the very nature of Halloween is darkness. You have witches, goblins. A goblin is a demon. And you have the skeletons and scary things, fearful things. And your kids dress up like those kind of things. Your Parents put that stuff on them. And parents introduce children to another spirit. You can pick up another spirit with false gospel, with false teaching. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says, you know, it said, if you receive a different Jesus, a different gospel, or another spirit, and it happens all the time. We call it a spirit of error, and, and it's a spirit that misleads people, but that's the work of the devil, because that's the way you get snared. Whatever he can do to gain an advantage of anybody's life, that's what he does. All of these things are put in the Bible for us to learn. It's not the most fun thing to teach on, but it's vital to learn. Otherwise, you're going to go through life full of Christian hope and not realize there's danger all around you, but you don't know what it is. And when you do begin to identify devilish things in your life, people think you're spooky. You know, you're scared of everything. I'm not scared of anything. I just know there are things that I should deal with and I should avoid. Like avoid or shun the appearance of what? Evil. Evil. Well, if you don't know what evil is, if you don't know how God sees evil, chances are you'll buddy up with evil and never know it's evil. It might be fun. It might seem to be good. A lot of people embrace it. And if you don't know the nature of what you're believing or the nature of what you're doing or what's behind your newfound freedoms and, and entertainment, you might be opening up the door to the devil. I've heard of people, you know, opening up to different kinds of things the devil does simply by things their parents did. Taking a child once to a a funeral and making the child touch one of the grandpa, whoever it was that was dead. child picked up a spirit of death. I remember that when we dealt with them years later. But not very many today would ever put those two things together. But years ago, after we got saved, we just happened to be introduced to the charismatic life, which includes these things. I mean, these are not things that have been excluded from our teaching, but things that we've been taught, things that are interesting, but they're very serious. So you're talking about things that can snare you and bind you and keep you from from even enjoying life, spirits of infirmity. There's all kinds of spirits that come in. Also, we mentioned last week that the devil gains advantage through sin. Every lie, anytime you cheat, steal, you're deceitful, untruthful. Anytime you yield yourself to that inspiration to do something that is wrong, you open a door. A door is open in your life to something that has a right to your life. Remember Ephesians 4.27, are you still in Ephesians 2? Turn over to chapter 4, look at verse 27. And it tells you there, I hope very plainly, I think, that you're not to give place to the devil. Does it say that? That we're not to be ignorant, he said in 2 Corinthians 2, that we're not to be ignorant of his devices, his methods, if we, as a Christian group, if we as Christians, whatever you call yourself, whatever group, if we as Christians are ignorant of these things, then we will surely be snared. We'll suffer through life, never get the victory. We'll change our theology to fit our experience, and we'll just say, "Well, you, you know, you never know. Why. Just things happen." And I prayed about this, and I prayed about that, and it's no better because there's things you got to do to deal with that, but they don't know that. But I trust that you do. I trust that you know that you're on a mission in life to some way affect this world that you're in. The Bible said of Jesus in 1 John 3, I think it's verse 8, he said, for this cause Christ came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And then he said to us, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Now, he didn't send you to redeem a world because you can't. But the works that he did are the works that you shall do also. If he came to destroy the works of the devil, so should we. But we can only do that because we have been enlightened to that. So we were talking last week about calamity and why it comes. And then you remember we finished with this in Luke 11, the verse in Luke 11, 24 and 25, it says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest. And finding none, he returns to his house where he once occupied, the place where he was in charge, and he finds it swept and garnished, or unoccupied, empty. And then goeth he and taketh with him seven more spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in there, and the latter end of that person is worse than the beginning. See, see, that can happen. You got set free. You could even say, uh, let, let me just overdo it a little bit. A man got himself right with the Lord and got free, got freed up, but he never grew. He was never taught. He was given something to do, but he wasn't taught. He wasn't given something that he needs to arm himself with and guard his mind with and empower himself with. He just got busy in religion. And here comes his spirit back because he never quits. And he finds that this house is easy to get back into. Maybe uh, the person in the house is swept and garnished and he's clean and no resistance doesn't know how to resist the devil. How can you resist the devil if you don't know how? How could you put the powers of darkness in their place in your life if you don't know how? So the devil comes back and nothing there to keep him from coming in. Nothing that stops the devil from taking over. Not only does he come back, but he brings seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Which means it'd be really hard now for that man to get free again. I can't tell you enough, but I'll say this as long as I can preach or teach or exhort. The only way you'll ever be free in this life and be able to aid others in getting free is to know the truth. Not a man's way, not a church's way, but the truth, God's way. Not to believe what you're taught or what, you're, what you hear because somebody special said it or somebody special wrote it. You believe it because God shows it to you in his word because you look for it. You become a personal student of the Bible. Actually, the word disciple would probably embrace that as pupil, a follower of Jesus. And that's what I want all of you to realize. That you're coming here is good. Coming here, I think you'll hear the truth, as much as I know it. But there's more that God would have to say to you privately, personally in your life, than just what you hear here. But this is the beginning. This is a starting place. God put the church on the earth for a good reason. He equipped the church with a good reason, and he brought you to that place for good reason. But it's not just to sit there and be a sermon taster your whole life. But as God's information begins to move in you and begins to stir you up, he'll give you direction, places to go. You're going to encounter a lot of people in your life who need to hear what you've got. Didn't the Bible say be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is within you? Our life is a testimony to hope. We've been set free from all that old stuff that held us back. We recognize our problem was the devil, and we found out how to get rid of him, and we got rid of him, and we're keeping ourselves rid of him. We're occupying, and consequently, he can't get back in, and other people see that we're free. And they say, how is it you can be so whatever? And then you tell them. And you say, you know, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I get that? Good. You really want it? Good. And then you tell them, don't call me. My number's unlisted. It really isn't, but don't, don't call me. And another way is that, that we said that people have adversity and give place to the devil is simply by being ignorant. I've been talking about it. Just simple, simple, honest ignorance. Honest ignorance means you never were taught. My daddy, as I've said a thousand times, went to church his whole life. My mom's family, they were a Christian church. They were religious people. They all were members of churches. They knew hardly anything. There was almost no emphasis on the power of knowledge or even knowing. But there was a great emphasis on being, participating, but not in learning, in a personal relationship with God. It just wasn't a part of their life. And it's easy for the devil to dissuade or persuade or, or mess with people who don't know much about it. Didn't the Bible say that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge? Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I would ask you a question because I know you're thinking right now. Did God give them any knowledge? Did he make knowledge available? Then why were they without knowledge? The same reason people are today. They heard what he said. They just didn't want to believe it. This is not popular today. You won't find many new TV shows sponsoring this. You won't find very many popular, racy-looking people carrying a Bible. They don't mix, they don't go together. This book will keep you away from the world, or the world will keep you away from this book. I mean, that's just the way it works. So, tonight, how do we then, as Christians, deal with adversity? What does the Bible say specifically how we deal with this? Would you turn to Ephesians 6? What a wonderful passage of Scripture. This is our instruction from from God himself. How do we as Christians deal with adversity? Remember, remember this before we get into that. Adversity is a given. You will suffer persecution. You will suffer tribulation in this world. All that live godly... Your adversary, the devil, goes about what? Seeking whom he may devour. Peter said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you. Don't think it you're the lone ranger because you're having trouble. That's part of your life. That's part of how you overcome. You couldn't overcome without trouble. How could you say you've overcome anything if you just belong to something and never deal with the devil or deal with things that overcome people? you got to overcome. And what you overcome, of course, is what the devil is doing. Didn't Luke write in Acts 14, verse 22, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom? It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. So we have to teach that. With all the blessings and the peace and the joy and the whoo and all of that, with all the wonderful promises that God has made, there's also the promises and the reality of difficulty. And you can't escape that. And and in this life and in this world, as you walk through this world, you walk through the world that is, is overwhelming most everybody in it. I don't have any way of knowing, as nobody has ever taken a poll on this, but I doubt that very many people in this world have a clue what it means to overcome. I would like to think most all Christians do, but I don't know that, because it seems like so many of them are destitute spiritually. They just don't seem to have any answers to problems. At the first sign of a problem, it's to a man or the hospital or, a, or a this or a that or a, or to a bank. They just don't know how to deal with things in life. And they get in debt. They go deep in the hole. They don't know how to deal with that. They can't get out of it. They get discouraged and they, they look for somebody to blame. What a mess! You think that's not the victorious, abundant life that God's given us. Amen. The abundant life is not something divorced from trouble but it's the joy of knowing who you're trusting that you're overcoming it all i mean he delivers us from all of our fears delivers is is our word for salvation in the old testament he delivers us what the word salvation means to to deliver the word means deliver us from everything the devil did we've been delivered from it legally it's it's in the word now it's ours to enjoy the victory but The first thing we have to look at in Ephesians 6 is verse 10, 11, and 12 and how we deal with this. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I don't want to stop and make 10 minutes of comments on every verse, but that's what you get. That's what is promised to you and me Down here in this world, facing whatever we particularly are facing. Us, our family, our church, our community, whatever. He said, be strong in the Lord. That means I can be. Are you with me? I can be strong. And what is available to me that makes me strong is the Lord's might. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Then he goes on to say in the next verse, verse 11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles. Those are the methods of the devil. Obviously, that's what the devil's going to bring at you. And he says, For well, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, the reason that is such a difficult thing to embrace is because you can't see these things. You can't see spiritual wickedness in high places. But there are rulers over places, and and, and these rulers have a great effect upon what's below them, like in a city, whether it's crime, or marital discord political discord there are cities i have known of in my past in which that seemed to be just the the common occurrence in that town just like in some families in some families there's a spirit of divorce nobody can stay married or crime or alcoholism it just seemed like that one goes to the next and goes to the next it just passed on down the line and if somebody was indifferent spiritually, their parents also trained them to be indifferent spiritually. They'll train their children, and they leave God out of their life for generations. That's the work of the devil. So, but that's who you're wrestling against. Wrestle doesn't mean arm wrestle. Wrestling is a very strenuous exercise. If you ask anybody who wrestles the sport of wrestling... It's a very demanding sport. You use all the muscles in your body to wrestle. The picture probably came from the Olympic games because that was a game they had to wrestle as well as to run. And he said, you know, in this world, we're wrestling against a foe we can't see, against principalities. What are principalities? Well, they are agents of the devil. Principalities and powers he said, the rulers of this world's darkness. What if I told you tonight that all the evil in this world from rulerships, people who rule in the world from terrorist countries, to maybe to civilized countries like the United States, where there is evil, there is a work of the devil. There is. It's just, that's the reason they're evil. But it's popular today to be evil. Evil cells. I can't remember the numbers, but Bonnie was telling me the other night she was reading something that one thing in our country that makes more money than the NFL, that's a lot of money, the National Football League, the NBA, the National Basketball League, or NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, and the amount of money spent on those three major, mega, there is... One thing that people do in this country that hauls in more money than all three of them put together, pornography, porno in its many-faceted form. That's what people like. That's what people want. And people feel uneasy when you talk about it because of the thing called guilt. And if we can get God out of society, maybe we can eliminate guilt and enjoy our sin. Maybe we can get rid of the God in the schools and no more prayers in the public places and maybe we can sue churches or take away licenses from churches because they're anti-homosexual or something and maybe then we can, we can eliminate all this Christian talk. We don't mind religion, just this Jesus stuff. It's because of guilt. Man has never been able to cope with guilt, never. Alcohol didn't work, drugs don't work. Multiple affairs don't work. Guilt follows you around like your skin. Constantly reminding you that you are lost, you are in error, and you're going to fail, and you're going to die. You can't escape it. You know that God is probably the answer, but the devil has said, well, it's too late for you. You've gone too far. I remember I've been there. The man just gives in, and why bother? I'm going to hell anyway, you know, why not? And the devil is hurling millions of people headlong into a damn nation, eternity, just millions of people. Isn't it something that God would see fit to spare you? To spare you? Why? Because he loves you, I guess. That's a choice you've got to make because you're not going to heaven because you're here tonight. Or like most people, you're not going to heaven because you're not bad. Because a lot of people think, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not bad enough to go to that kind of a place. But if there's none righteous, no, not one in the whole world, and all we like sheep have gone astray, there's not one good one in the world, then we all need to be saved. I don't care how good you are, how hard you try, and how nice and friendly you are, only by being saved can you go to heaven. Well, that's just the work of the devil, and that's the way he does things. But anyway, back to what he said in verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against things that are misleading and tormenting and destroying people's lives. These things come from high places. These are the influences that come to people on this earth. It comes from a higher authority, the devil and his crowd. And that's what we're fighting. You're teachers that teach evolution. And this... Stuff about homosexuality, being all right, and same-sex marriage. That's the dumbest thing in, in my lifetime I have ever heard of, is a man marrying a man. A man marrying a man. Two people that have to shave. I said, well, you know, you could lose something from the government if step in on you if you preach. like, government has nothing to do with what we're doing tonight. We're not incorporated. We're free from that. We can speak what we want. But anyhow, having said that, look at verse 13. Wherefore, here we go. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, not part of it, but all of it, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. The whole armor of God. I know that some of us in the years past, as I look back, have mastered a couple of those armor pieces. Faith and the sword, memorizes that, talk about faith, but not necessarily the other parts. And they're gone today. And just because you're good with two or three pieces of this armament doesn't mean that you're protected. Didn't he say "Taking you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand? Now, the word withstand... Interesting word, a Greek word that's also is translated resist. You remember in James chapter 4? You don't turn there unless you want to. James chapter 4, it says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, the word resist means withstand. He's coming. The Holy Ghost led Jesus to the wilderness because the devil was waiting on him. 40 days and 40 nights. That happened to Christ, don't think it won't happen to us. He's waiting, he takes his turn at you. God's in charge of all the temptation, he won't let it be bigger than you are, but it's going to come. So he said, You got to resist the devil. Another word where the word resist is, is used, you know this, and the devil goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour, whom resist. You know how he said, steadfast in the faith. Steadfast means unmovable. I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not looking back. I'm not turning back. I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to stand against you and resist you in Jesus' name. This is how we're told to do it. Now, I don't know how many people understand that, but that's what the Bible says. Whom resists steadfast in the faith. The whole armor. Each piece of this armor, as I want to show you here, each piece of armor is a biblical truth. Part of your foundation is a Christian. It's called something. It's called a helmet or a breastplate or your loins girt or whatever shoes, a shield and a sword. But each piece, defined in human terms as an armament or panoply, something that covers you and protects you, each piece is a biblical truth. For example, first of all, in verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt with what? Truth. Now, obviously, truth is what is right. Truth alone begins with God. There is no truth apart from God. You can call anything you want to call truth, but God is called a God of truth without iniquity. He is a God of truth. God of truth means you've got factual truths, doctrinal truths. The Bible is the truth of God in printed form for us. So this is where you have to start. If we're not standing in the truth, we're not standing at all. If what I'm calling truth is what some man said that seems to work for him, but I don't know if it's the word of God or not. I don't know that it's truth. But he says you girt yourself first of all with truth. And in the same 14th verse, the second thing he mentions is righteousness. Righteousness. So you got truth and righteousness. Now, as I understand it, righteousness can be looked at, as from the Christian side, two ways. One, we who were in sin were unrighteous. Remember the Bible said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the word unrighteousness and sin are together, just as righteousness and God are together. To be right with God, to be saved, in other words, to be brought to God without any further information, you just get born again. God, by selecting you and pulling you out of darkness and bringing you to himself, declares you to be right with him. Not because you've done right, but because you believe. So because you believe, he accepts you, you accept him, everything is fine. Now you begin to grow. Righteousness now, like being sanctified, you're set apart to God when he saves you. In that sense, you're sanctified. Then there is sanctification, which is the way you live, just like righteousness. As you live, as you make choices, and the choices you make are the right ones. It comes from the word of truth. You see that this is the way, walk in it. Well, you used to do this. No, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to walk this way. As you begin to walk in a newness of life, you begin to walk in a right way. That's called righteousness. Righteousness. John wrote it like this in 1 John 3. He said, brethren, be not deceived. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. God is the standard for what's right. God alone can approve of what's right. That's why he watches over his word to perform it, because that alone is his righteous standard. In order for us To do right, we must do what he said. Do you understand? You could not be righteous unless you were faithful. Faithfulness goes with righteousness. Being right with God, doing what is right, talking right, thinking right, and being right, it all goes together. This is the way we're supposed to live. And a man who lives that way declares himself a victor over Satan What is the devil going to do with you if you keep doing what's right? If you keep obeying God, if you keep doing the thing that God wants you to do, what's the devil going to do to to defeat you? He can't. You may suffer for doing right because all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer you going to be mocked and scoffed and persecuted and called names and rumors spread about you that's a given but as long as you do what's right you have God on your side and he will deliver you and that's the whole issue about coming to church and learning and sitting here tonight it's like this is the way to live are you willing Are you willing to make this choice? Nobody can keep you from it. Nobody can make this choice for you. Nobody can keep you from making that choice. All you have to do is weigh in your heart what God has said. You compare what God has said with yourself. You're looking into a mirror. You see yourself. You see him. You see that you're, you're not together. The question is, will you do what God said and let go of what he said you shouldn't do? It's up to us. And so a man that's willing to do what is right is a man that's going to have a good relationship to God. He's going to please God. Look at the next verse. In verse 15, he says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I think all of you know the gospel is the good news. And where the good news is, where the good news is, has its effect, you'll find peace. You can't buy a man. You cannot bribe a man that's learned what peace with God is all about. He'll die. He'll die for his relationship to God. He'll lay his life down for God in a minute. He'll go to the stake. History's already proven this. They go to the stake and die. You can shoot them and kill them. You cannot take away from them what's in their heart. All the world can do is kill them. And when they shut their eyes in this life, there's no agony in the next life. You go from this life into bliss in eternity. I'm not even sure you even die. When they were stoning Stephen in the book of Acts, he looked up and he saw him waiting for him. He'd be there in just a minute, just a moment. they were throwing these big boulders at him. He laid down and died. I guess they still threw rocks at him, but he's already gone. I don't know how this ends, none of us do. We know it's ended for a lot of people. We don't know what they go through at that moment. But I have to believe that God who is in charge of all things, he has life and death. he has the keys, he does. He's in charge so that when that day comes, there'll be no fear. And there'll be no fear because he's given you peace. He said, in the world you will have tribulation But in me, you will have what? Peace. That's what he said in John 16. He said to count it all joy when you fall in the diver's tribulations. He said in the world, you'll have tribulation. I give you peace. He said it in John 16. My peace I give to you, not as man gives. Man's peace is like man's joy or man's happiness. It usually depends on what happens. I'm happy if I have a good day. But the joy of the Lord doesn't have anything to do with what happens. It's what you believe. And out of that environment comes peace. Freedom from agitation. You're loose from all those things that this world is dying crazy about. Then in verse 16, he begins it by saying, above all. And above all, he said, the shield of faith. So so far we've had truth, righteousness, peace, and now faith. These are major components of a righteous man's life, of a Christian's life. These are things that should be established in your life. And he said, above all, he said, taking the shield of faith, firm footing, stationed, unmovable, steadfast, things that describe a faithful soul. And he said, above all, taking the shield of faith, and here it is, wherewith you, you sitting here tonight, you who listen, wherever you are, whoever you are, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. That's who you're fighting in verse 12. That's who you're fighting. You'll be able to stand, like he said in verse 11, that you may be able to stand. There it is. It's a shield of faith. It's not like a garbage can lid, it's like a door. It's something that covers the whole you. And notice it says about the shield of faith, it said this faith that God is talking about is able to quench all the fiery darts, missiles of the devil. I would say those fiery darts could be anything from mental issues, physical issues, Whatever the devil does and tries to do to kill, steal, or destroy. When he said to Eve, hath God said, that was a dart. When he tells you nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, it won't work for you, you're not good enough, you're too this, you're too that, those are darts. That's the work of the devil. He doesn't want you to have faith. I think the devil would dread faith, true Bible faith, more than anything you've got. The only thing that would supersede that kind of faith is love for God. Because if you don't love the Lord, what good's your faith? Remember that? If you have faith to move mountains, but you don't have love, what do you have? Nothing. If my love for God says, I want it the way you promised it because that honors you, then that's why I'm going to use my faith. You want me well? Is that what you promised? I'm going to use my faith to get well. Of course I feel better being well. Of course. I want to use my faith to honor God. How about prosperity? Oh, boy, look what I can have. No, that's not the reason. I want to prosper because it pleases the Heavenly Father to give me his kingdom. God so loved the world he gave. He's a giving God. If he gave me something and promised me something, then I want it. I sure hate for God to say, Hamilton, I want to give you an abundance And then me stand down here and say, nah, I don't want that. Who am I to tell God what I don't want that he's offered me? And if he wants us to walk by faith, live by faith, and quench all the fiery darts of the devil because it pleases him, then I want to quench them all. I want to win every battle. I don't want to fall, falter, or fail. I want to win every battle because it pleases the Father. Amen this shield of faith that we talk about so much, this shield of faith, which we use to quench all the fiery darts of Satan, is mine, it's given to me, and you know how I get it? First of all, it's given, it's grace. The faith that God gives is a gift. Initially, to begin with, while it says not all men have faith, he's given to every man a measure of faith. Some didn't use it, and they don't have it. But you have it, and you use it. And the power of faith, the power of a man standing and and looking up to God and saying, I am counting on you to do for me what you said. I want your word to come to pass in my life. The power of that means you overcome. You resist. What if you die? I think there would be worse ways to die. But we're not talking about dying here. We're talking about living. These are things that God wants us to do. God wants us to know this is the way he wants us to live. This is where our victory is realized. It's faith. If I cannot trust God, if I cannot appropriate his power or his might, if I cannot cause what is written to become a reality in my life, and the only way I can do that is by faith. I've got to believe it. If I can't do that, what do I have in life? How do I resist or overcome? How does anybody do it? N- nobody can. To have faith is to say to God, I'm going to count on you to do what you said. That's what you did to that pop machine when you put that dollar in there, or four, how many quarters you have to put in them today when you feed that thing. The only reason you put your money in there is because you believed it worked. You don't have to be a Christian to do that, you just have to be thirsty. And so you put your money in there, you make a selection, out comes the pop. The same fact of the use of your will works for faith. It'll work for you or against you. Doubt is no different than faith. It's just a choice of my will not to believe what God said, whereas faith is an act of my will to take him at his word. One says, well, I know he could, and he might, he has, but I don't think he will for me, and so I'm withdrawn. Whereas faith says, no. I'm going to count on him to do it. I don't know how he's going to do it. This is new for me, but I'm going to count on him. Same power. One will destroy you. One will secure you. It's faith. It's taking God at his word and being willing to act like what he said is true without any evidence to that truth. We don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. If God said it, It's so. Isn't that right? Now, one thing the devil hates is that because your warfare comes down to the fact that you look at the devil and you say what Jesus said, it is written. What did the devil do with Jesus? He had to flee, didn't he? When Jesus said, it is written, what what was he doing? Time out. What is the basis for our faith? The word of God. Faith comes. If you believe the word, it's what you count on. Not just memorize it, but it's what you count on, what you're secure in, what you're believing for. And if he said it is written to the devil three times, what does the devil do with it? He has to flee. devil can't conquer your faith if you stay on it. He can attack it. He can come against you and make suggestions in your mind, try to talk you out of it. Or as you read the Bible, he'll try to put a, a question mark where God puts a period and say, "Hath God said anything to keep you from having faith? The only way you resist him is by faith. I don't see the devil. I can't see him. I know he's around. I see what he's trying to do. I have thought sometimes, I know where they came from. I know the source of all of that, these things around. I know where it is. And while I can't see him, I believe that God has given me a word about him, that if I use that word against him, God will honor his word and cause the devil to submit to me, bow his knee to me, and leave me alone. Or my children, or my home, my money, my finances, my health, anything. I think if God left us all alone and never gave us any any word to stand on, we wouldn't be a very healthy bunch of people anyway. We'd be like the world out there crying about what's next. What kind of disease is next? What kind of pill are you taking? What are we gonna do now? And yet you know he's changed things? Those things are not even in our lives. We have no fear of that anymore. He's delivered us from all of our fears. We are holding on to something that we can't even see, but but we know it's real because God said it. A whole life is based on a book, on what a book says. Somebody once said, you take that book away from your people and you don't have anything, and you're exactly right. This is all I've got. If you took it now, I've memorized enough of it, know enough of it now, I can make it and teach some others how to make it. But point of it is that the grand weapon in our arsenal is faith. It's the one wonderful thing that we have and can have that the devil fears the most is our faith. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, remember this in Luke chapter 22, He says, Simon, Simon. He said, behold, the devil has desired you that he may what? Sift you as wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Listen to what he said. Does he say the same thing to you? Think of it. Just think of it for a minute. Simon, Peter, let me tell you something. The devil, by asking has obtained you. He had to go through God to get to you. Desired means that. The word desired, the devil has desired it. The devil, by asking, has obtained permission to you. And he's going to sift you like that little puppy dog He got that old towel in his mouth and just shook it this way and that way, and it was just ragtag all over the place. He's going to do that to you. But Peter... In spite of that, I have prayed for you. Only one thing. I have prayed that your faith won't fail because that's the only thing that will get you the victory is your faith. You've got to know what you believe and be persuaded that it's true. Now, when you're strengthened, Peter, when you survive this, you strengthen your brother because nobody knows how to tell this story better than a person who's been through it and who believes it. That's why the world's waiting on you to tell them your story. How did you do it? How did you make it? How, did you know, how is it? Why does it work for you? Tell them. Don't boast just like the Bible says in the spirit of meekness. Tell them. It's all about Jesus. Aren't you glad you used your faith? God got glorified by blessing you with the things he promised. Others saw it and they won. Wow. Even in the church, he said, be not slothful, but followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You find that all over the Bible, faith. It's the one wonderful victory that God has granted to his people that we have. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, John wrote, even our faith. Now go back to the Ephesians 6. If you went anywhere else, we're almost done. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Does your Bible say taking you the helmet of salvation? What does a helmet do? covers your mind, doesn't it? A provision, listen to me, a provision that God has made that will cover your mind and guard your thinking. So your mental game is good. People without a good mental game, good mental strength, cave in pretty easy. It doesn't take much to overthrow them because they're more moved by what they see or what they feel or what they think or what they hear or what they heard. Their mind tells them, you're not going to work. Look, this is a big one. Oh, this, you're going to die. this you. Yet, when your mind is being renewed and God begins to give you a new picture to look at, you no longer see yourself as, as some poor old little something, but now you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. And there he is beginning to transform. This purging and cleansing is taking place. You're becoming more and more like what he wants. Old things are being passed away. Old things like defeat and death and dying and fear and loss and oh me and gloom. It's all passing away. What's happening? Because things are becoming new. What's happening? Your mind. Salvation. You know, again, you got truth and righteousness and peace, and you got the shield of faith, and now you got a helmet called salvation. Salvation. The words for salvation and the word for saved, not exactly the same word, but they all imply the ideas of deliverance, safety, preservation, health, things of that sort. To be saved is not just to have a ticket to heaven. Saved, to be saved means you've been delivered from what? Everything that destroys people's lives. You've been set free from everything. You've been set free from defeat, sickness, doom and gloom. In fact, the word for saved, the word sozo, is used for healing and health in the Bible. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper in what? Be in health even as your soul prospers. Is your soul prospering? Are you growing? Are you seeing with your eyes, are you seeing what God is saying? Is your mind being renewed because of this new image that is being projected into your heart by the Holy Spirit? Do you see yourself the way God sees you? If you do, you begin to lose all your fear of tomorrow and all your chatter and clatter about what's going to happen to this and what's going to happen to that. All the world's coming to an end. Of course it is. But the picture you have in your mind that God has everything in control. He said no evil is going to befall you. No plague is going to come now your dwelling. He'll give his angels charge concerning you, and they will keep you in all your ways. That's what you see. Because that's what it means to be saved. Not just delivered from sin and and all your old weaknesses, but to walk in newness of life. Your whole life is saved life. He said you even work out your salvation. Did you know that? With fear and trembling. Receiving the end of your faith in 1 Peter 1. Receiving the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Your well-being. Everything about you. Everything should change. That's what you arm your mind with, and, and let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, this mind of Christ, it's in there. See things his way. Think of things the way he would think about them. We have instances in this word of all the many ways that God wants us to see things and think of things. Salvation is a great word in the Bible which covers everything in your life, your marriage, your children, money, health, tomorrows, your well-being, everything comes under the heading of being saved. Sozo. This kind of a helmet, when a man is armed like this here and he begins to think like God, can you do that? Huh? Huh? Let me see if there's any scripture for that. Let me see. Would it be in Isaiah 55, you don't turn to it. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. Is that possible? It shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I please prosper thing whereto I send it. And didn't he say in the verse six, I think it's right before that, he said, for your ways are not my ways and your ways. Thoughts are not my thoughts. Did he not say some things we should think on? Philippians, think on these things. Your mind, folks, all of us, your mind has to come under this renewing process. It's a daily thing. Listen, every time we come to be prayerfully, God will give us something else to think about a little deeper direction, a more secure footing. An encouragement to stay with what you do it, something that, that engages with your mind and keeps you from giving up, giving in and becoming weak and faint in your minds. And you begin to prevail. You find something in you that says, "I am not going to give in, I'm not going to throw back, I'm not going to throw this down. I'm not going to quit." This is how we overcome. It's a process. You don't overcome all at once. You live the life. You apply the teaching. And as you do, you begin to overcome. And in closing, with this armor, turn to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 describes the kind of life a people or a nation live without God. When a nation engages in sin, when they begin to turn away from God and his way, and God begins to turn away from them and there's no presence there. I mean, even God began to say, The Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. His ear is not so heavy that he cannot hear. So what's the problem then? Verse two? Your sins, your iniquities. They've separated between you and God. That he won't hear. He wants to hear, he said he would, but you've chosen to live another way and God has to judge other way and when, when you turn away from God, it's sin, you cut yourself off. Then he begins to describe, whole chapter, all the way through this chapter until we get to where I'm going, is all about all the things that happen to people when they're not living right with God. It cannot get better, it cannot just improve. They even said in verse 11, said, you know, we roar like bears and we mourn like doves. We look for justice and there isn't anything for salvation. It's far from us. Nothing's working. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know what they are. Truth fails. Nothing's working. Verse 16. And he saw that there was no man. Nobody seemed to care, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, God said, his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. I wonder who his arm is. What does it mean, his arm? The arm of the Lord. (laughs) What another interesting sermon. Verse 17, describing him, though. It says, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. And he said in verse 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, this is what God will do. He'll raise up a standard against him. Now notice the next verse. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion And to them that turn from transgression, these are going to experience deliverance. And you go back to chapter 11. Not only they, but here's what he said in chapter 11, this same book. Verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. That's Jesus. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Did you know when Christ is in you, all of this is in you? All right. And shall make him of quick understanding and the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither approve after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, his words. In verse 5, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The very armor that God asks us to trust in is described in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 59 as indeed the power and the might of the Lord, because in both cases they prevent you from being defeated. And you put it on. It's already proven. Jesus didn't ask us to put on anything he hadn't proven for us. The helmet, all of that, he is truth. That's why when we finally got to the end of where I wanted to go in Romans chapter eight, he said, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. More than conquerors means the word Uper, I like to say it, hooper. Ooper nikau." That is, we are... More than conquerors, more than victors. The picture I get of myself, as God says, Hamilton, you are more than a conqueror. To conquer is great, it means you prevail, you win. You win. But to be more than a conqueror must mean that I have no dread of the battle that's before me because I'm I'm going to win it. I'm assured of victory before it gets here, all I've got to do is keep my hand on the plow, keep my faith in God, and I won't lose. And neither will you. Neither will you. It's up to you. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks tonight. In Jesus' name, for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, all the wonderful things you do, all the wonderful things you've written and given to us, Thank you for the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Thank you as part of our armor, we can pray in the spirit how privileged we are, Lord, to be able to do all of this and to have the assurance that we are more than conquerors through Christ, that no weapon in this life that is formed against us shall prosper. that as Jesus overcame himself, so can we. Therefore, we choose to be of good cheer. I ask you to bless those that are here tonight. I ask for safety, courage, and a commitment to a deeper walk to be with your people that are here tonight. Those that listen, those that watch, grant us that I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.